Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful to have you with me today. Today I want to talk about Nephi in perhaps Nephi's own faith transition. He's a character in the Book of Mormon that I am quite intrigued with, with the way in which he says things and as as it seems like his mindset changes over time. I've addressed some of this before in an episode way early on, in the first probably six months of me doing the podcast. Um, I don't remember right at the moment what the title of that episode was, but if you want to go back, you can certainly look for it. Uh, I th- there's certainly some ideas early on about Nephi and, and some of these shifts that perhaps he makes. But I want to share some more added on to that and, and maybe a larger concept here. I'm hoping to kind of touch on this idea that, that whether the Book of Mormon is historical or not, and I, I, I don't know that I'm in a place at the moment where I would say absolutely one way or the other. I, I certainly hope it's true and I hope it's historical. And I, and I think often when we read the Book of Mormon, it feels very two-dimensional. It, it feels like a very simple story where the people that are in these stories are, are really black and white in the way that they're framed. And, and I think that black and white thinking that appears on the surface isn't necessarily there when you dig a little deeper. And so today I want to talk about that. So let's talk about Nephi and let's use him as kind of an archetype for the rest of us and what, what we all kind of go through in, in a faith transition. And, and it starts off, right, that each of us kind of are in this black and white thinking and Nephi is no different than the rest of us. If you go to third or uh, first Nephi chapter three, you get this very black and white scripture that is a quote from Nephi. He is, he's being asked to, to do things that his father thinks are coming from God. And what Nephi says, he goes, verse seven, it says, and it came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded, for I know the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he commanded them. And, and I get it. We, we all, I think, in our earlier lives say such things that, that in our mind, we will go and do. We will do all that the Lord commands. We know that God speaks through his holy prophets and that everything they say is the mind and will of God as Nephi is looking to his father as being. And Nephi himself says, look, man, I, if God, if God gives me something through the prophets, I'm going to go and do it. And, and I'm going to keep the commandments and I'm going to do all the things the Lord commands. I'm going to do everything God wants of me. And I remember being younger and feeling the same way. This, that when I was in my twenties, having joined the church as a, as an older teenager, 
that in my 20s, I felt like this is possible. Like I can hammer this out. I can check the boxes. I can do this thing. I can perfect myself. I can take credit because, because God's given me these things to do and I am going to do them. But then Nephi has a set of experiences which begin to kind of change his perspective. And, and I think it comes to a head later on, which we'll get to. But let's begin with some of these, what I will call kinks in the armor of this black and white thinking for Nephi. In the same chapter, first Nephi chapter three, they've been commanded to go back and get the brass plates. And what I find strange here is Nephi doesn't consult God on how to do this. On the very first try to go get the brass plates, verse 10 in chapter three of first Nephi, it says, and it came to pass that when he had gone up to the land of Jerusalem, sorry, and it came to pass that when we had gone up to the land of Jerusalem, I and my brethren did consult one with another. See, there's this idea of them just talking to each other, just consulting, right? You know, I remember serving as a bishop and there were times that we, we really, really sought God's inspiration behind the decision we were going to make. And there were other times we just consulted one another and made a decision. And sometimes those decisions didn't go well. They didn't pan out the way we thought they did. Because for whatever reason, we we felt no need to consult God on every single jot and tittle. And Nephi's doing that here. He's not consulting God. He's trying to trying to figure out as a group. He's trying to involve his brothers, who he doesn't uh, look up to very much, and make a decision. And they decide they're going to cast lots. And Laman goes up and tries to ask for the plates... And he is chased away by Laban and, uh, and his life is in danger. And so, so Nephi here learns a lesson, I think, that, that, you know, I can't just consult my brothers. We just can't figure this out as a group. We gotta do something else. And you think then, okay, Nephi is gonna ask God. But Nephi doesn't do that either. At this point, Nephi goes on this great exhortation to his brothers of how important these plates are and the great purpose that they serve and this idea that they have to have these plates. And at that point, they make a decision, and it's my assumption, it's my assumption that Nephi is the one who makes the decision to go back down and get father's gold and try to buy the plates off of Laban. Now, the reason I say I think this is Nephi's decision is because Laban and Lemuel are not on board. They are not cool with this uh, with this idea because they're hoping at some point to go back to Jerusalem and to have that gold to sustain them and support them in their life. So Nephi again doesn't, doesn't ask God. He says, look, this first time I talked to my brothers, but they're unworthy. You know, I consulted them, but they're just not worthy of this. I shouldn't look to these guys to, to help me figure out what to do. I should do this on my own. And then Nephi comes up with this idea, but that idea doesn't work either. And so Nephi uh, ends up finally the third time asking God to lead him. And so there's this, this adjustment he's beginning to have to make that, that yes, I'll go and do, but man, I, I better involve God in what I'm doing. I better get uh, him in on the action. And, and there's other things that happen as well. There's also the point where Laman and Lemuel beat Nephi and Sam up and an angel comes to stop them. And this angel, to show that Nephi is in this black and white kind of thinking, Nephi is recounting the angel's words and he recounts the angel as saying, you know, why smitest thy brother? And that brother word is singular. Now, now Sam and Nephi had just gotten their butt kicked. 
Laman and Lemuel had just beaten up the two of them. The scriptures are clear that the two of them have gotten beaten up. Now, if you're Sam, pretend for a minute, you're Sam and this angel comes and the, in the actual words the angel says is, why smitest thy brother Nephi? I mean, if you're Sam, you gotta be thinking like, man, what the heck? Am I like just mashed potatoes? I mean, I, I deserve, I deserve some respect. And my guess is that if, if the Book of Mormon's historical that, that this angel didn't say that. That Nephi in his kind of black and white center of the universe kind of thinking, that he, he remembers because the importance is placed on him in the story. He remembers the angel is talking about him. And he seems to leave out Sam as being part of that experience, even though earlier in the account, it records that both brothers got their butt kicked. So Nephi, again, kind of in this black and white thinking in chapter three, but this trip up to Jerusalem to get the brass plates seems to be kind of that, that first kink in the armor. In chapter 7, Laman and Lemuel are murmuring, murmuring again. They're frustrated. They're angry. They're mad with Nephi. And so they, they tie him up. And, and so verse 16, it tells us this. Uh, verse 16 of 1 Nephi chapter 7. And it came to pass that when I, Nephi, had spoken these words unto my brethren, they were angry with me. And it came to pass that they did lay their hands upon me. For behold, they were exceedingly wroth. And they did bind me with cords, for they sought to take away my life, that they might leave me in the wilderness to be devoured by wild beast. And then, and then Nephi, in this situation, he pleads for divine help, but he asked for it in a certain way. But it came to pass that I prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, according to my faith, which is in thee, wilt thou deliver me from the hands of my brethren? Yea, even give me the strength that I may burst these bands with which I am bound. So Nephi asks for the muscle power to break the cords as they are so that he can display some great level of strength, right? Like he could be like, yeah, take that, right? And and so that he could essentially be seen as being, being uh, something more than human, and perhaps some of that's going on in his mind so that he can show these brothers up because they're just not nice to him and they deserve it. But that's not how God answers the prayer. Verse 18, And it came to pass that when I had said these words, behold, the bands were loosed from off my hands and feet. And I stood before my brethren and I spake unto them again. Nephi doesn't stop and explain. He doesn't seem to want the listener to recognize that something different happened here. He wants to be honest. He wants to tell the story as it occurred, but, but he doesn't feel the need to say, Hey, I asked for one thing and I got another and here's why, or here's my thoughts on this. Because remember, he's writing this later on. It's not like this happens and the bands are boost and he says, Hey, let me, let me hold on a minute. Let me grab a, let me grab a stencil and let me engrave on the metal plates for a minute. This is later on. He could easily have, have expounded on this. But I think it at least had to strike him that he asked God for one thing and he got an entirely different thing to happen. Still solves the problem, still miraculous, but way different than what he had asked for. And I see this as perhaps another little kink in the armor. That that God isn't going to give Nephi exactly what he asked for. That Nephi himself is not going to be allowed to show up his brothers in the way he wanted. That he's going to have to adjust to things being done God's way. And then I think some of the major issues come in. These are just little kinks. 
as each of us are going through our faith transitions, there were moments back then where there were little kinks in the armor, little things that caused us to have to kind of stop and pause and reframe how we were going about life. And so now I kind of see this happening dramatically, right? I mean, there's a point where everybody's shelf just came down. And I think for Nephi, that happens in Second Nephi chapter 4. And I should back up and say, in Second Nephi, I think it's chapter 3, Lehi counsels all the members of the family. And if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, but if I'm not mistaken, and I, I glance through this, I don't think he, Nephi mentions any counsel that God gives, or that Lehi gives to him from God, or from himself. Chapter 3 seems to be, you know, he talks to Zoram, he talks to Zoram's family, he talks to Laman and Lemuel, he talks to Sam... I could be wrong, but I don't think there's any mention of Nephi. But when we get to chapter 4, Lehi realizes that he is about to die, that his time is very limited. And he proceeds to bless all the members of his family. And Nephi, recording the account, records these blessings, or at least parts of them. And when the blessing gets done, you know, Lehi's blessing Laman and Lemuel, he's blessing Sam. But when this all gets done, Nephi doesn't mention his blessing at all. Go back and look at it. Second Nephi chapter four. Nephi doesn't mention his blessing at all. It's, it's either as if Lehi forgets to bless Nephi, he dies before he can do it, or Nephi chooses, for whatever reason, not to talk about it. Just to, just to ignore it and hope that you don't recognize that it's not there. But it's not. And, and that's striking. The other thing that I think comes into play that you at least have to consider is this idea that these Book of Mormon prophets are handing their records down to their sons. That great promises were made to Nephi through his posterity. And yet when it comes time to hand the plates over to the next record keeper, Nephi hands it to his brother Jacob. Now you have to think about that. What does that tell us? Does that tell us that, that Nephi had sons, but they all died young? That Nephi had sons, but they were really unrighteous. That Nephi didn't have sons. And for whatever reason, perhaps in his mind, he thought then that the promises of God were somehow void and, and, and that troubled him. I think all of those are fair options on the table, but I, I would ask if his children died in some dramatic way. Again, Book of Mormon seems to want to tell us some things about history. But it chooses to leave out lots of other things that would seem natural to the record. And I get it. I totally understand the apologetic view, which is that, hey, they're only writing the important things. And that the things that were written for the plates were uber important. And anything that was just, uh, you know, drama in the, in the, in the life of these folks had to be left out. And I'm okay with that. But I, I think for me, the most legitimate conclusion is that Nephi didn't have any boys. That Lehi and his blessing to Nephi probably said some things that were, were frustrating and disappointing to Nephi. And it seems like Nephi kind of is really internalizing some, some reality things here that perhaps he had never really had to come to grips with before when he was in that I will go and do kind of attitude. And then it happens. Lehi dies. And when Lehi dies, we get a very different Nephi than we got in First Nephi chapter 3. We get what people call today the Psalm of Nephi. Now contrast this, 
this Psalm of Nephi with the Nephi from earlier in the Book of Mormon, how his brothers were always murmuring, but he was always doing what God asked and he would keep the commandments. And, and when the bow broke, he didn't get desperate. And even though his father was murmuring, he asked his father to, to tell him where to go with the bow. I mean, I mean, Nephi seems to make the right decision at every turn early in the Book of Mormon. And he has this, I will go and I will do. I will check the list and I will knock this thing out of the park and I will exalt myself kind of attitude. And then we get this, Second Nephi chapter 4. Behold, my soul delighteth in the things of the Lord, and my heart pondereth continually upon the things which I have seen and heard. Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord and showing me his great and marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am. Yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh. My soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am encompassed about because of the temptations in the sins which do so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. My God hath been my support. He hath led me through mine afflictions in the wilderness, and he hath preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. It really feels like for the very first time in the Book of Mormon that Nephi has left this black and white way of thinking. And he's really coming to grips with having to let go of being himself, the guy who always does the right thing, and rather recognizing the sinful natural man within him. And this points back to Ether twelve twenty seven, right? That I will I give unto men weakness that they might be humble, and for those who humble themselves, then I will make their weaknesses become strengths unto them through the grace of God. And Nephi seems to finally be coming to grips with this. And so whereas in first Nephi you get all this drama of his brothers murmuring and and his dad's murmuring and Sarai's murmuring and the bow breaks and they bind me and they beat me and they bind me and they beat me. Second Nephi from here on is, is different. Nephi seems to be sharing the record with Jacob. Jacob seems to be focused on much more spiritual things such as chapter five, um, Jacob chapter five on the olive tree. Um, you have this back and forth where Jacob's sharing some of the chapters in second Nephi and, and they're quoting Isaiah. They're, they're talking about the doctrine of Christ. They're talking about God's grace. Uh, Jacob chapter 11, the law of Moses typifies Christ and proves he will come. Uh, there's just this, Nephi first off, recognizes, Nephi first off seems to kind of withdraw himself from being the primary record keeper. For whatever reason, he no longer sees himself as being the sole guy who has to do this. And there could be lots of reasons for that, but I, I think as I think about my own faith transition, there are thoughts and feelings I, I had that changed. That, that caused me to no longer desire to be seen by others around me as a great leader. That rather I now was comfortable just doing the right thing and whatever came of that came of that. And I see some of that in Nephi. Again, lots of chapters on Isaiah, which is indicative that Nephi on some level feels like writing his own thing now no longer is fulfilling to those who will have the record, that he recognizes that me just bragging about myself and telling my story isn't isn't the best thing for this narrative. And so Nephi, in another way, tends to kind of back off. 
But then Nephi tends to kind of jump back in, in chapter 25. It's, I mean, if you look at second Nephi, the second Nephi, the whole, the whole set of plates there, Nephi just doesn't tell you much personal story from there on forth. After Lehi dies and Nephi tells you how, how much of a natural man he is and how easily he gives into sin, Nephi kind of takes himself out of the story. But he comes back in in chapter 25 and he talks about Christ. And the chapter is very Christ-centered. And then in chapter 26, he talks about how Christ will come and he will minister to the Nephites. And again, he's very Christ-centered. Chapter 27, he talks about the future in the Book of Mormon and how it will come forth. But again, he's not focused on himself. Chapter 28, he talks about how the, how the adversary will try to disrupt the restoration. Chapter 29, he speaks about how people will react to the Book of Mormon coming forth. Chapter 30, he talks about how people will respond even further as the restoration goes forth. And then we get to chapter 31, where he teaches the doctrine of Christ. And he's very plain. And it's such a good chapter and such a spiritual chapter. And he is so focused on those principles and ordinances of the gospel. And he tries to keep them simple, keep them basic, keep them really, keep the list really small. And then chapter 32, he talks about the power of the Holy Ghost and the importance that it has. And then chapter 33, he wraps up and testifies of Christ. Nephi, at first, seems to really rely on himself. But by the end of his life, Nephi seems to be be very Christ-centered. That he seems to have gone through his own faith transition, a faith crisis when his father dies, a a sense of his own um, smallness in the story in the importance of pointing others to Christ as the story goes on. Brothers and sisters, I hope that when you're reading the scriptures, that you're digging deeper, that whether you believe the Book of Mormon is historical or not, that you might truly see it as scripture, that you might truly see it as life-changing and pointing you to Christ. I hope that you see that. I hope that you recognize that that being historical doesn't take away something being scripture, and that perhaps parts are historical and parts are not. Perhaps Nephi embellished part of the story. Perhaps Nephi is a real person and he embellishes part of the story. Perhaps he only gives you the bits and pieces that he wants you to see, but there's so much more going on. And when you see his story as an archetype for your story, and I think you can see those similarities. Paul got to a place in the New Testament where he said, look, I, I've been, I've been scourged with this thorn in the flesh. And again, we don't know what that thorn is. We don't know what, what his weakness is, whatever his sinful behavior or weakness or temptation or handicap or physical limitation, whatever it is, we don't know. But he says, look, I got to the point where I glory in it. I glory in it because it allows God's grace to come in and make those weaknesses strengths that I glory in the midst of those weaknesses because in the midst of people seeing how weak I am, they can see the strength of God come forth. It's my prayer that each of us, regardless of where we're at in our faith transition, regardless of where we're at in our beliefs, that we might take a second look at the Book of Mormon and give it a chance to see if it is scripture and if it brings us to Christ. I bear witness that it has done so in my life I bear witness that even in my lowest moments where I, where I have thrown 
mentally in the towel that the church is what it claims to be, I still find the Book of Mormon to be inspiring, uplifting, and to be scripture. And then in my high moments, when I take that back and say, man, maybe the church is true. Maybe it is. And get excited again and, and find ways to kind of work through that, that the Book of Mormon becomes a very center to my testimony because it points me to Christ, whom I want to be like. May the Lord warm your shoulders. May the Lord bless you in all that you do. May the Lord soften your heart and the hearts of others who persecute, who make it hard, who marginalize those who need space, especially now, especially in the midst of these things. I pray that that strength will be there for each of you through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.